content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan, and we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know what else matters? Mm, what else? A continuum of services and supports. And I hope everybody enjoyed part one of our great interview with the great laws. Part two picks up where she talks about Jamie's educational career and how at the time she wishes that Jamie had had a little bit more support. So yeah. enjoy, everybody. So how was Jamie's educational career? How did she do? I know you said she's bright academically and she struggles socially. And, and I think you said with some life skills. So I know you said she was five when she got the diagnosis. What did her education look like? Education has not been great for Jamie. So oh. we started off in a mainstream primary school. That did not work. Although I think looking back, had we had more support at the time, it could have gone differently. Yeah. Uh, I see Jamie's sensory processing difficulties as the main problem. I think if Jamie didn't have the sensory difficulties that they have, they'd just be quirky. Uh So a lot of people say, oh, because Jamie's autistic, this, that. And it's not because Jamie's autistic. I think it's the sensory issues because it's being in big classrooms, noises, smells. It's definitely the sensory aspect that Jamie has struggled with in schools. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about that. I was reading somewhere that 74% of people with autism have sensitivity issues, um, extreme auditory sensitivities and reduced feelings of pain. Where does Jamie fit in with that? What are her sensitivities or her hypersensitivities? Uh, Well, like I said, Jamie also has physical disabilities, but we are not 100% sure if that is sensory related. We're still trying to get to the bottom of that. Um, A lot of the time, Jamie will be off school with what they call sensory pain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, definitely, um, Jamie's just hypersensitive. I would say to most things, so noise, light, smell, taste, every, very, very hypersensitive. But then on the flip side, Jamie could be really hypersensitive to sound, but absolutely loves to sing and shout and loves their own voice. Yeah, I know a lot of kids are people like that, that, you know, can stand right next to a fire alarm and not blink, but they can't stand the sound of people's lips smacking together, you know, or they love their sound of their own. So tell us a little bit about the physicality of it. How does she um, struggle with that? Um, Well, because we're not 100% sure what the physical problems are, we're under the pain clinic here at the moment. Um, Jamie just, I don't know if it's hypermobility. I personally think that Jamie has EDS. Um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Right, I am familiar with that. um, It's just, when Jamie says they have sensory pain, I think when they are overwhelmed, the way that they feel pain is different to when they're not overwhelmed. Makes sense. So if Jamie was calm and happy, the pain wouldn't feel as strong as it does when they're overwhelmed by the environment or things that have been happening. So fascinating. Their sensory system is... I mean, you, that makes perfect sense when you think of it that way. Their sensory yeah. system is more sensitive when it the rest of their brain is busy responding to the environment yeah. or or whatever other issues. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. Tell me, uh, tell us again, what does EDS stand for? I see you said you've heard of it, and I did. I, I have a, I have a, a you know, my little running buddy. 
Uh-huh. His mom and sister were just diagnosed with it. Hypermobile joints, but you you go ahead and... and yeah, it's Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's basically, there's different types, but um, a lot of autistic people have the hypermobile type of EDS and it causes a lot of pain. And it's um, I was reading an article yesterday, actually, about a doctor who was in the US who was told that her pain was all in her head mm. and it turned out to be EDS. And a lot of what she put in this article, it relates to Jamie a lot. And people have told me before that Jamie may have EDS, but not the right people, so not the professionals. Gotcha. Sissy, what else? What else do you want to talk to us about what we have for here? Well, I think it's very interesting that she mentioned EDS because I, I too, have many of the symptoms for EDS. And it's another one of those things that I think, do I want the diagnosis? <laughs> you know, do I? Um, I, I have pain that I've always thought was related to um, tension, you know, and now I begin to wonder if it's those, because I definitely have hypermobile joints. But one of the other things that you mentioned in the podcast that I was listening to was that when you were working for someone and answering the phone as, as the employee, it was very different than making a phone call or answering the phone for, for your own self. I was curious, do you think to a degree as an employee, that was kind of a mask, so to speak. I mean, yeah, I think I have scripts inside my head for different situations. So when I did that job, I knew what was expected of me on the telephone, where if somebody rings the house phone, I'm like, oh, my God, why is somebody calling? What do I say? And I panic because I'm not ready for that phone call. I don't know what's going to happen. That's um, just in general life. If I'm out walking the dog, I have a script for certain people that I might meet in the street. Right. So, yeah. You know, like how's the weather, how's your dog, you know, it's all, it's all up there prepared. Right, right, you can, yeah, but, but when, yeah, when the phone rings, you're not sure, and maybe that's why so many of us now would prefer a text first, let me know you're calling me, you know, it kind of helps us, uh, helps us prepare. Can we talk a little bit about hypermobility? I don't know that our listeners would know what that looks like, because I know I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. So one of the first things people with EDS will do is, and mine doesn't completely do it, but they'll like bend their thumb back toward their wrist and they can almost always touch that thumb to the arm. Or I know that I can, I can pull my arm out of socket. Oh, Uh, I can bump my hip out of socket. It's just that Jamie can put like, Jamie can put their leg around the back of their neck and like the hip will pop out while they're walking and but. Joe, my son, he's definitely hypermobile because he can do that wrist thing. And but he he doesn't have any issues with it. He doesn't get pain with it. Hmm. Like Jamie yeah. gets a lot of pain. Golly, yeah. that's interesting. That's and so I think that's when it becomes an issue is when it's creating the pain because my friend right. and her daughter it is creating pain for them. And there, there, there's a clinic. They live in Louisiana, which is just to the east of Texas, and they are going to see a special doctor that is helping them with that. And it definitely is uh, been not reported that much. You know, it's fairly new to people coming to terms with the idea that it's out there. And I really do think there are going to be a lot of people who are going to get relief based on it. I did not know that a lot of people on the spectrum or people who are autistic have hypermobile joints. Didn't know that. That's something you taught me today. Yeah, and I've just learned that through obviously my own experiences and through our group. A lot of our customers who are autistic are also hypermobile, dyspraxic, uh, dyslexic, Tourette syndrome. Everything kind of crosses over. There's a lot of comorbidities there. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, you talked about your group. Is that your your tribe with Chewy Gym? Yes. Yeah, so we have a sensory support group on Facebook. Some of them are customers. Some of them are just people who joined the group for help. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a customer or you just want to, to get some help. But basically, we, like we've got people that have been with us for the whole 12 years since we've started. So I really know them personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just find there's a lot of people that have been customers that have got children that have grown up with my children and we've gone through the same things. And then they've maybe gone on to get an adult diagnosis. And we've just all got very similar lives. And it's nice to have online friends and I have met some of them in real life it's nice to have these people that experience the same thing because a lot of people like in my locality where I live they don't understand yeah I would imagine that I I can see that and you know through COVID you know this was probably how we're meeting now was probably one of the few ways that I interacted with people you know I I had two friends that would come over and we were kind of you know a bubble but um you know, it was it was crazy. But uh, you had said that Jamie had a hard time with her education. And I was wondering, you know, you said that maybe if we had had more support and, you know, that was 13 years ago. And, you know, we, we didn't know as much about autism as we do now. I mean, obviously, we're learning every day new things. So did she when you said she was in a mainstream program, what did that evolve into um, just as she got older? Well, initially, it it was awful. So it was like exclusion from school at a young age because Jamie was classed as the naughty child. Mm. Where really, they were overwhelmed and they, that was the only way that they could release how they were feeling. Yeah, sure. Um, we then went to a mainstream school that had uh, autism unit attached to it. Uh-huh. So Jamie could then go between mainstream and the unit. Um, that was a good school, but unfortunately, we lived so far away that the the round trip to and from school was like three hours. Oh my! And it was just too much. Um, yeah. Then I homeschooled for yeah. for a while, and I have to say that for me, that was the best time. Jamie was the happiest when we were yeah. at home. But yeah. then, when Jamie got to uh, eleven and saw all of their peers going to school to secondary school. They wanted to go to secondary school, so we went to the mainstream school that is local to us. And it, it's a great school. Jamie will tell you it's a great school. But Jamie Jamie is an anomaly, I am told, by lots of people in that it's like there's no real place that's available that's suitable. And I don't think that it's an anomaly. I think there's lots of kids and people out there the same. It's just that people have their idea of what autism is. Mm-hmm. and they have when they do the lab you know the high functioning low functioning labels mm-hmm. and that's not really how it is in real life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and just because Jamie has a high IQ mm-hmm. doesn't mean that Jamie will thrive in a mainstream environment mm-hmm. well I have to apologize I have not been um respectful of the binary piece and I apologize <laughs> you know it's it's a learning piece for me and it's something I just need to practice behaviorally and make sure so yeah. I hope I didn't offend you when I said she no no I, I've done it myself and you know it does it take time especially because Jamie didn't come out non-binary until it's been about two years now so if you imagine 16 years of yeah. I had my little princess and yes it's really difficult to, to change yes yes I would imagine it is and and I, I just I wanted to apologize because I'm you know it's something that we all are learning yeah. you know so is she so she's still in school she's in high school I guess now yeah, so really, because um, the way it works over here, you do GCSEs at 16. Okay. 
and then we'd go on to A-levels. So Jamie should be at the, the end of A-levels. But what we did, Jamie went to a residential school for a time. Okay. Um, that was quite a difficult period because it was four hours away. Oh. And there was a lot of behavioural issues within the school. So it was quite a behavioural-focused school. Uh. And Jamie does have behaviour issues when surrounded by other behavioural issues. Sure. If that makes sense. If Jamie doesn't have the right support, sure. sure. then, yeah, it's difficult. So that school didn't work um so what we did locally to us they opened an autism academy yeah and that was three years ago two and a half years ago okay and jamie's too old basically so we've gone back two years so jamie's with 16 year olds instead of 18 year olds oh um which is fine because you know a lot of people with autism they don't look at age yeah, you yeah. know, I've I've got friends who are in their twenties, and it, you know, there's no there's no barriers where it, when it comes to age, so it's no. absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but now that Jamie's got to eighteen, and it's time to move on, that's where we need to look at something that's more like a college that's more appropriate. Yeah. Now, where you live, are the schools public, or do you have to pay for them? No, they're public. Okay, good, good. There, there are some private schools, but we live in a very rural area as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's. A lot of mainstream schools, but not a lot of specialist education. Sure. So, and I'm glad you said that about high functioning and low functioning, because we are, Sissy and I are both really getting away from that terminology. And I'm really trying to help my, and Sissy and I are both helping the people we work with really not use that terminology and frame it more as less academic needs, you know, and more academic needs or less social needs, you know, that kind of thing. And and getting away from that term, because how would you like to be called high functioning or low functioning? You know, it's just, yeah. It's very, um, you know, it takes us time. I mean, I think we're we're growing as a world in understanding autism and accepting it instead of, you know, I preach all the, Sissy and I preach all the time, it's like April in, in the United States is Autism Awareness Month. And it's like, no, we're aware. Let's make it yeah. Autism Acceptance Day every day, every minute, every hour of every day instead of, yeah. you know, light it up blue and things like that. Like, you know, no, it's, it's, it's something we need to just, not only be aware of but accept and yeah you know rather than like you said changing your behavior to fit into our world changing our behavior so that we can understand them better people like you better and anyway do you have anything that you feel you just absolutely have to say or give advice for listeners or teachers I think we have a lot of different types of listeners I think we have some parents and some some educators and Sissy, I don't know, maybe some friends that don't know anything about behavior that like to listen. And so is there any advice or or sage advice that you'd like to share? I think for me, at the beginning, when you asked me about what sort of language I preferred, I think it's really important to think of every single person as an individual. So like you were saying, that some people might want to fit into society. You might have an autistic person that wants to blend in and they want to learn those social skills where that's not important to me, but it could be important to somebody else. So I think it's really important to just take everybody individually and see what they want to do and what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agreed, Laz. And, you know, you have beautiful social skills. I mean, you, you've, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know, I can't see, imagine you needing any, any other social <laughs> skills. But, I, yeah, I agree. I think it needs to be individually determined. And to the extent that we can, we need to ask that person. You know, yeah. what's important to you to learn and, you know, to be able to have a job and, and interview and, you know, get the job. Because yeah. unfortunately in the U.S., the unemployment rate for people with a four-year degree and autism is very low. 
And, you know, that breaks my heart and it's kind of an obsession for mine and I think sissies as well to at least get them, teach them the skills that they'll need to be employed, right? And so, Joe, I want to hear a little bit about more about this professional gaming because I know we've got some listeners who would love to know more about that. Can you share anything? Uh, well, he's in LA at the moment. He plays Rocket League. He's a professional Rocket League player. He's just, he's just, he's done it all himself. He's amazing. Um, he's just one of those people like he picks something up that he likes. He works hard at it, and it and it pays off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he's in LA. Does he just do his schoolwork? Um, uh, well, I actually I took him out of school, started home educating him last June. He was in school, but he really struggled um, again socially. Well, I don't know if it's even socially. It was just. The school that he went to has high expectations. Joe's a very intelligent boy, but it's little things like having to read out in a classroom of people. You know, it's your turn to read the book. You've got to do a presentation. All of those things were really hard. And so that caused a lot of anxiety. And he ended up not going into lessons. So it got to a point where he wasn't doing anything. So I said, right, well, we'll try homeschool. And I took him out to home education. And that was around... A similar time to he got this professional contract and now he's basically it's like a full-time job yeah that's yeah. so yeah. cool and he, he puts the hours in and he's, oh, he's he's just brilliant you know you know he does everything he needs to do and so he lives completely independently as a 16 year old uh, but he still lives at home okay so um, he's in LA right now but he can he travels yeah. and can do all of that independently he's just started to it's kind of independently there's a team so yeah, he hasn't gone on his own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, he's, yeah, he's fine. If he's with his people, he's fine. That's so cool. I am so excited to hear that. I would love to talk to him, Sissy, as a, <laughs> as a podcast guest, just to talk about the sure. whole gaming world. And so many people with autism are attracted to that. And I, I would love. So, Loss, next time you talk to him, ask him if he'd like to be a guest because I'd love to interview him. I think that would be fascinating to talk about the gaming world. Yeah, I think it's just the way the world's going now. There's so much online and yeah. esports is a huge thing. There's so many different games that, that people are doing. And I mean, the one that Joe does, I don't even think it's one of the big ones. Really? That's yeah. But he there's a tournament in LA right now. <laughs> well, exactly. That's amazing. No, seriously, Lars, if you talk to him, We'd love to have him as a guest. I think that would be fascinating for our listeners to hear more about that. Yeah. Sissy, do you have any other comments or questions? Well, I was thinking about, you know, your comment about the way they changed the labeling for autism, you know, levels or whatever. And I, I do think the one thing maybe that we've gotten right is the idea that it is a spectrum disorder. And if you think about each of the areas, you know, whether it's sensory or communication or interest in social, there's a spectrum. Uh, I mean, there's a, you know, where are you on that piece? Like I can clearly say in the sensory area, I could bump into autism so easy versus, you know, my socially, I do enjoy being around other people. I do enjoy getting, it doesn't make me nervous when my phone rings because uh, I'm going to be able. So I think maybe spectrum is the right piece. And that's why it looks so different because it expresses itself very uniquely in each person. You know, where are my areas of strength, my areas of challenge? Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do. And I also think it varies from day to day. So whilst I might not be a social person and I might 
be scared of the phone. It could be down to what sort of day I've had, if I haven't slept enough. So there's so many variants that can make me how I am on a certain day. Absolutely. I think you're right. I think and, and every day must be different for you, you know, just in, from a sensory perspective, from a social perspective, from all of that. Do you work for Chewy Gems from home? I do, yes. Nice, nice. So, yeah, it's good. But um, the other thing is, at the moment, I'm really verbal. But after this, once I've finished, I'll lose my words. <laughs> I won't be able to speak to my husband or my kids. I'll, like My brain will not connect with my mouth. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, we won't keep you because we've taken a lot of your time. And I just want to thank you so much for being a guest. I'm glad I was able to find you. And, you know, you're welcome back anytime. We'd love to have Jamie or Joe or all of you. Just whatever works best no, for you. Jamie would definitely love it. Jamie likes a good podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, good. To Jamie. Okay. That would be great. Thank you again, Laws. God, Sissy, I learned so much from Laws and about hypermobility. I had never heard of that before. And I'm surprised to hear that you feel like you have some level of hypermobility. It's fascinating. Yeah, I do have hypermobile joints. I can pull my arm out of socket and I can slide my hip out of socket. You know, it's easier for me to sprain my ankle, that kind of thing, but I don't have the level of hypermobility that would bump me into having EDS or um, any of that. But um, it's very interesting. Yeah, it really is fascinating. You know, I have a kiddo who does some things with his body and it makes me wonder if he has hypermobility, you know, the way he can contort his body is really interesting. So I learned a lot on that and I appreciate Laws being on our, our podcast. I thought maybe a good question might not be necessarily an ABA question, but it would be something that would help our listeners with regard to helping people regulate their sensory needs. And, you know, Sissy, we have a friend, um, Laura, who is an outstanding occupational therapist, and she's taught us a lot about all of the different sensory needs that kids have. And she suggests that a lot of times it's helpful to do heavy work. So the question is, heavy work addresses A, vestibular needs, B, tactile needs, C, gustatory needs, or D, proprioceptive needs. Hmm. Okay. So... Let's try to look at some of those. Now, vestibular is like movement, swinging Mm -hmm. or being on even a kiddo sitting in a school bus with the things running by that gives some vestibular input. Some kids love it. Some kids hate it. Mm -hmm. So it's not that. And although I love to regulate myself gustatorily, I don't think that that's it. That would be things in your gut, things you know, taste and, and on those kinds of things. The other one was tactile. The, you know, a lot of kids do find some regulation in in touching smooth things or whatever it is, touching rough things. Yeah, yeah. we all might get a little bit about that. But proprioceptive, which is a pretty safe route to go, according to our buddy Laura, is considered heavy work. So the answer would be proprioceptive. Heavy work is considered proprioceptive. Yeah. And, you know, the way I remember that is I've heard Laura or Cindy say, when in doubt, try probe. Right. And so I use that all the time when I'm trying to remember the different senses and how heavy work is probe. And, you know, I've seen heavy work work for kids. And I I know that some, you know, true and tried 
hardcore behavior analysts say, well, it's not an evidence-based practice, so we can't use that. And I say, I see it work. I know OTs who see it work. And so I think it's good for us to try, even though it might not be in the realm of current evidence-based practices. Right. But we always say in the field of ABA that sometimes the child can be the control for themselves, you know, so you can, it does not hurt to try heavy work, to try proprioceptive work and see if it makes a difference. I probably won't withdraw it if it does, you know, I mean that in a true test, you would withdraw the use of it and see, although life may naturally withdraw that, you know, you may be having them move some heavy objects, going out for a fast walk or a jog, and then not have the opportunity to do that. And you might see a change in their behavior and you might be able to see the evidence for that child. So, yeah. And I, I think we can all attest to the idea that every now and then a good fast walk Mm-hmm. kind of helps ourselves. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah I had a student in, in extended school year um, a couple of years ago. And at every transition, he would push a laundry basket full of books from class to class. And I mean, we, he was really busy and we really saw it have an effect on him. So anyway, everybody, we hope you enjoyed part two of Laws's interview. I know I did, and I learned a lot. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we'd love a share, like, or review on our social media and or Spotify, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you listen. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye. Bye.